I'm Travis Bader, and this is the Silver Core Podcast. Join me as I discuss matters related to hunting, fishing, and outdoor pursuits with the people and businesses that comprise the community. If you're new to Silver Core, be sure to check out our website, www.silvercore.ca, where you can learn more about courses, services, and products that we offer, as well as how you can join the Silver Core Club, which includes $10 million in North America-wide liability insurance make sure you are properly covered during your outdoor adventures. This week's episode is brought to you by GearPack.ca. GearPack is a subscription-based mystery box and has partnered with some of the biggest brands in the business to bring you top quality products delivered to your doorstep every month. Knives from Essie, Spyderco, Sog and Kershaw, stoves, backpacks, watches, optics and more. What's awesome is if you can show proof of a valid Silvercore Club membership, you receive 30% off your first order. Check out gearpack.ca for full details. All right, I'm sitting down with Taka Kuwata, who for the past seven years has been an avid three-gun competitor in Canada and the United States, and is sponsored by a whole slew of companies. And we're going to be talking about his journey through competitive shooting, what it's like to shoot in Canada and the United States, and a number of other things. Taka, thank you very much for coming here. Oh, Travis, thanks for having me on the show here. So, 3-Gun, tell me a bit about it. 3-Gun is probably one of the the most frustrating but also most rewarding sports that you could do. It consists of rifle, pistol, and shotgun. They have different divisions involved, but now being, I think it's in its, I think, 20th season now, there's more divisions, but the main three divisions are going to be open class, where you have all the optics that you need, bipods, anything goes, bags on your guns. You have your mag-fed shotguns, your carbine, and your open pistols. Then you've got your TAC Ops division, which is going to be your tube-fed shotguns, a iron sight pistol, and then your standard carbine with a one to six times optic. Then you've got your limited, which is strictly going to be your bare bones of your pistol. Iron sights are just one one times magnif- magnification for your optics and a mag fed or a pump shotgun. Very cool. So, you know, I've, I know a bit about a number of the shooting sports. I've never competed in three gun, but it's probably follows a similar format to, let's say, IPSC or IDPA in so much as they've got the uh, different divisions and classifications and you travel around in groups and compete. Is that more or less? Uh... More or less, it's, it's fairly the same. What it entitles is that within one course of fire or within the stage, you have to go through all three firearms. Okay. So you're transitioning from whether if it's pistol start to rifle start or to your shotgun. Sometimes you might have all three firearms on you at once. So you're slinging the rifle on and you got your pistol hot and holstered. Right. And, you know, you, the buzzer goes off and, and you go at it. And then you got tons of arrays of targets that you need to to make sure you use the right proper fire, firearms in terms of the course of fire. So if there's steels, there's obviously going to be pistol steel and shotgun steel and also rifle steel. So you can't shoot the steel with the incorrect firearms or else you'll get penalties. Okay. So it's a more of a, a memory game at the same time as well. So it's oh, so cool. crucial that you literally got to walk your stages, have a, a stage plan in your head and you're visualizing throughout the entire, the entire time because... 
The stages could be as long as up to 200 seconds or even up to five minutes long. So it's, it's a really long process versus IPSC. It could be 27 seconds or even 10 seconds to finish off that course of fire, but three guns a little bit longer. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So let's back up a little bit. Now that I got a bit of an understanding about what three gun is, how did you get into that? My brother-in-law sent me an email years ago and I opened up this email and, and it said, YouTube, watch this. I opened up the email and literally it was the classic Benelli three gun promo video. I've seen that. Yeah. And I think the video was 14 minutes long. It's a fairly long promo video. It had Taryn Butler, it had Greg Jordan in yeah. it. And instantly I was hooked, like <laughs> hooked. And from that moment, I knew exactly that was the discipline that I wanted to do. But then ironically, when I started to do Google search and I didn't find anything in, in the Tri-City. Okay. It took a long time for me to find anything. And the only thing closest that I could find was Ryan Stacey's uh, two gun over at Abbotsford. Okay. Which was a CQB that he ran um, two years ago. Right. And so I got into that and loved it. From there, met a few friends and especially with the team colleagues that I'm part of with Team White Rice, met them over at, at the event at Abbotsford. And then we all ended up going to do the practical rifle matches over at DSS, over at Thompson Mountain and Chilliwack. And just strictly did carbine competitions. Okay. Then someone dropped a line and said, there's three gun over at Abbotsford. And it was run by the Mavericks event there. Okay. For, for Maverick Multigun. And I think the first time I did that was four or five years ago for the first time. Okay. And that was my first opportunity. Had the wrong rifle, wrong shotgun for it, wrong pistol for it. I was using a chest rig, which was completely incorrect <laughs> for that sport. But it, you know, you just come in and use what you, what you can. How did you do in that one? I, I did fairly well. I Des did fairly well. Despite having all the wrong kit. I think the main, main goal for myself that day was like literally just don't DQ. Just don't disqualify. Right. And I did, I did okay, but I didn't know what I was really doing. And it was, it was a ton of fun. So team white rice. Now we talked a little about this before we got on mic here and we know a little bit about the background There's about eight people. I think you said on. It started with eight people and it started with four Caucasians and four Asians. Okay. So that's where the, the name of Team White Rice kind of started from. I don't really know the origin sure. of where the name, how it started and who created the name, but sure. I would say that it's because of the the half-half. Yes. Right? The logo's got a uh, a lead farmer. Okay. So that it's so it's it's one of the coolest logos that I've ever seen and we've got a new 2.0 version of the logo that's coming out this year. Who made that logo? Cuz I've seen the current logo. Yeah, that's been created by a gentleman by the name of Cooch. Okay. Yeah. And he's our team artist and he designs our jerseys as well. Very cool. And he's, he's talented at sketching and he sketches logos for other people as well. And he's, yeah, he's awesome at it. If somebody wants to get into three gun, now you just saw the YouTube promo and decided to do some internet research. You now belong to a team. If somebody wanted to just dip their toe in the water and, and see what it's all about. Do they have to get a team together? Or can they, can they do it by themselves? You could do it. It's, it's a total solo sport for sure. And 
luckily for 2020 this year, we've We've taken over the multi-gun event over at Abbotsford and started a new league called AML, which stands for Abbey Multi-Gun League. Okay. So we have a whole series of scheduled events this year. Uh, the first one coming up is February 22nd, which is a practice event for new shooters to kind of understand about, about what 3-Gun is. And literally, they'll bring whatever they have. The divisions that we created for this league, we have everything from 3-Gun, 2-Gun, so the two gun will be your carbine and pistol only. Okay. We have a a PCC division, so your pistol car, uh, caliber carbine. You can shoot the entire course of fire with just strictly a PCC. But if there's an aerial clay that pops up, then you can't obviously engage that. Right. Then then there's also the two by four stage, which is also pistol, shotgun, carbine, and your PCC. The only thing is that you have to use two firearms in the course of fire regardless okay so literally you're hauling a lot of gear you've got a lot of mags and pouches on you but it's a really fast sport because it's literally two hits on paper you, you don't really need to have an a zone hit or a you know a, a c zone or a d don't it's anywhere on paper which is ne neutralized so which is really fast you don't really need to aim all too well unless you're going to be shooting at at steel sure but um yeah, we got a whole slew of events taking place over at Abbotsford. Sunday, March 29th is the actual match. April 19th, we got a practice again. It's again, it's open to the public. May 31st is another match, which is a Sunday. Sunday, June 21st is a practice. July, we might be doing a drop-in match. We haven't decided because we're all gearing up to get ready for the BC Three Gun Provincials over in Lone Butte. Okay. So we're not sure if we're going to do one then. August 30th, which is a Sunday, there's a match. And then the last event for AML is probably going to be Sunday, September 27th. And that might be a practice okay, uh, or like a little mini match. So I tell you what, if you send all of those dates over to me, I'll put them up on the website and put links over to it. Absolutely. So we'll do. What's the, what's the culture like? I mean, if somebody wants to get into it, is it kind of intimidating for a new person to get into it? I think it's going to be intimidating. I remember my first experience, I was nervous. You know, like you're, you're dealing with three firearms, but I think our community is so open to it that if we know that you're a new shooter, we'll definitely handhold you. We'll definitely coach you. So I wouldn't really worry too much if you're a new shooter. Just come out, bring whatever you have. If it's a pump action shotgun with no chokes, come on out. Nice. You know, if you have a revolver, come out, shoot it with a revolver. Nice. You know, you just don't need to go out and spend money on equipment that you're unsure that it's it's right for you mm -hmm. and if it's what everyone's using and you think you have to get it just try it out with whatever you got first and see what works and what doesn't work it's everyone in our community and within canada we're so open you know we're, we're pretty welcoming to the sport and just as long as you tell me that this is my first time i'll take care of you well nice. i'll take care of you nice and i like that a lot of people there's, there's a number of limiting factors. There's a number of factors that will cause a person to perhaps not want to try out a new endeavor like this. One of it's going to be the trepidation of the group, the intimidation, I, I think can play a big role. Uh, another one's the kit. Am I going to show up with the wrong kit? Am I going to not be competitive? I think you were saying earlier that your, your very first one that you showed up and shot, you're using all the wrong kit. 
had a great time and you actually did pretty well. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that you think you have to have the right gear, but at the end of the day, it's we're all there to have fun, you know, and of course there's people that cares about ranking, mm-hmm. but you know, I don't really care about where I place the day of, you know, I'm just there to, to shoot, enjoy myself mm-hmm. and I want to do well, but at the same time, I don't really want to get trapped by constantly looking at the scores after each, you know, after each stage that I shot. But again, this is more, I know I'm rambling at this point, but no, not yeah, at all. you know, like it's, it's, it's supposed to be fun at the end of the day, you know, come out, experience it. It's, it's, a, it's a ton of fun. Well, that looking at the scores one is an interesting one. Cause we've had different people on the show here and some people have to look at their scores and you were saying you don't. I can't do it, Travis. I just can't. It's everyone that shoots with me, they know not to to come up to me with the tablet or the scores and for me to sign off on it. My personality type, if I look at the score and if I know that I bombed it, mm-hmm. I will take that negativity and I'll carry it on to the next stage. Right. And I have a tough time blocking that out of my head. So if I take that negativity to the next stage and when I'm on deck, then I know that, okay, I got to try harder. Mm. Or I got to try 110%. And I don't believe in that 110%. I believe in my 100% of what my current level ability is. Because if I go beyond that, then I'm going into uncharted territories where I'm not familiar with shooting faster mm-hmm. or reloading quicker. And I start fumbling with the, with the magazine and I drop it. Mm. So I want to be at a comfortable position where I know that I'm good at in terms of training wise, because that's what I train for. Right. But if I train, if I shoot in a way that I've, I'm beyond my current level of ability, then that's where I will make mistakes. Other people might not be making the same mistakes and they're okay with trying harder, but I just can't. That's just who I am. Well, let's talk about your training regime because something's obviously working and it's caught the eye of a number of companies who want to have their logo on your back. What do you do for training? Training-wise, I... Because I'm a young father with two kids, married as well. Congratulations. Thank you. It's, it's, you know, it's tough to find time to do, to do anything. You know, once the kids go to bed, then you kind of have that little window to unwind and relax. That's the, the time that I'd use to, to dry fire. Okay. I probably, my training works out to be 90% dry fire and 10% live fire, just because I don't have the luxury to be able to drive down to Abbotsford all the time to, to chuck lead all day. Right. So I have to dry fire it all a lot, a lot and dry fire. I would do every single evening for about 45 minutes. Okay. Leading up to a match. If it's seven days coming into a match, I'll dry fire two times a day. I'll wake up at five thirty or six o'clock in the morning and I'll dry fire for about 15, 20 minutes, then get ready for work, go to work, come back, take the put the kids to bed. Then I train again in the evening, 45 minutes. That's my, that's my training. After I'm done that match, I will literally take a break from dry firing training completely for about five to six days. Just because if I don't, I will start to burn out and I don't feel like doing it. And I don't ever want to get into that habit of, oh, do I have to train? Because for myself, if I train when I'm not motivated, then I start to practice bad habits. And that's the one thing I just don't want to do. 
or just get into the motion of doing it and getting it done quickly because you just want to get it over with and you want to go sit on the couch and relax. And that's something I don't want to start doing either. So I have to take a break. And that's what they say. Practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Exactly. Practice only makes permanent. And if you're doing something incorrectly, you're just ingraining that into the, into your regime, into your mind. Yeah. So the dry fire portion of it, it's, it's just not standing there and, uh, drawing the, the pistol and, you know, pulling the trigger for myself. It's, I'm doing a lot of running movements. Okay. I've got a, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that I have a fairly big basement where there's no furniture involved. So I could literally lay props that I've made, like a little mini VTAC board that I cut out, which is a little bit smaller. I've got stands. I've got targets pasted to the walls where my wife is frankly okay with that. <laughs> uh, the kids obviously have their toys in there as well, but they're all pushed to the side. I've used painter's tape to literally have starters boxes and shooting boxes. I have two by fours that I cut out just to use as fault lines where I could stand on. So I could kind of get that feeling of what it feels like to stand on a fault line and lean mm. and lean and shoot. So I have a lot of props that way. I used to use a lot of the smaller targets, which it was great to work in a smaller size room, but now I just use a full size target. So if, if I shoot them at just say 10 meters, it's what the actual size of the targets are. So if I shoot them even further, then the size of targets won't really change in my eyes and my view where mm-hmm. those little five inch targets are always going to be small. So you're always thinking that you're taking a crack at them at 50 yards right, and right, you're right. not really getting that good depth of vision there. So I just train with the actual size targets. Now looking at you, you don't look like the stereotypical average range user, the person you're a fit guy, right? you looks like you've incorporate exercise into your training regime as well. Fitness is, is one of those things that it's, to me, I think, let me backtrack a little bit. I think sure. that for shooting sports, whether if it's IPSC, IDPA, USPSA, multi-gun, it's a sport. Mm. Yeah, people say it's a game, but a game is no different from a basketball, baseball game. You know, we're all athletes in many ways. And my belief is you just can't go to the range or just do dry fire and that's your training. I think strength conditioning is important because our firearms aren't heavy. Pistols aren't heavy. I'm sorry, pistols are heavy. Sure. Rifles are heavy, and then even these mag-fed shotguns are even heavier. Sure. So when you're struggling with holding that up to be able to shoot offhand, then, you know, if you're not training, then literally you got the wobble of your sights, Mm. which could obviously affect you at 100 yards and and whatnot, every movement that you take. So I think strength conditioning is extremely important when it comes to your biceps, triceps, shoulders, working on your core sit-ups leg lifts, you know, because your core is extremely important. It's, it attaches everything to you, your arms, your legs. Uh, what else is there? Cardio. Cardio is huge. Keeping your heart rate down and keeping it down to 80, you know, beats per, you know, per minute mm. versus having an amped up heart rate of 150 or whatever it is that when you're running around. Mm-hmm. Cardio is super important, especially when you're shooting multi-gun where the stages could be easily up to 200 seconds long. Stretching, I stretch every single night because... Basically, you've done IPSC where you have to get into positions where you have to shoot below the, the barrier walls sure. or, you know, it's, you want to feel nimble at the end of the day. Yeah. I've also gone into links where I would go on to YouTube and I watch videos about tennis players, basketball players, football players, 100, uh, 100 meter sprinters on how they train about 
how to get explosive sprints. Interesting. How they stop, like for running backs, how they literally cut corners left, right, and center and be able to to move up, you know, explosively. Mm-hmm. Tennis players, the same thing with their footwork. And I've put together a list of things that I do at home where it helps me for sprinting to be able to run quicker. I've learned about plyometrics. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of tons of free videos on YouTube for plyometrics. Just type that in. There's tons of exercises when it comes to running mechanics, box jumps, which is super explosive on your legs. And you can literally stop on a dime, sprint on a dime. That's it's, it's a great workout to do. And I do that at home. Another clever one that I learned from soccer players and football players were the, the ladder exercises where you put the ladder on the floor and you're literally doing in and out exercises. Yeah. So you could definitely buy those on Amazon for about $50. That's, you found that pretty helpful? Super helpful because when it comes to shooting, you're running in and out of positions, going into rooms, you're going into, you know, it, it's it's all about footwork at the end of the day for shooting, especially when you when it comes to movement shooting. But I found a cheaper way of actually doing it. I ended up getting painter's tape and literally marking it on the carpet <laughs> and doing a ladder so you could do that to save money and not have to spend $50, $60. Looking at my crystal ball here, I see the uh, Takakuwata school of three gun in the future. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, what else is there? I think I haven't done yoga, but I think yoga will be really good in terms of strengthening your core and getting your flexibility up. I think that's extremely important. You know, you're talking about the physical conditioning and there's a, a couple things that I find interesting. One, when we have new shooters on the line and I'm watching them, I can typically pick out who's going to be a more competent shooter than another. Not always, but usually with a high degree of confidence. And a lot of that comes down to their physical conditioning. And what you say, being able to hold up the firearm, they're heavy, right? Especially if you're going to be holding up, holding the firearm up for a while. But it also plays a strong part into the mental side too. There's a confidence that comes with being fit. There's a confidence that comes with knowing that sights aren't bobbing around and you can spend your time concentrating on the trigger press. So that, that's a huge one. I know we've talked about mental fitness and mental management on previous podcasts. The actual physical side ties right into that. The other one that I find really interesting when I said you don't look like your stereotypical range user, because there is a stereotype out there. A lot of people will spend a great deal of money and time on getting the latest, greatest equipment and shaving an extra ounce off of their firearm so it comes out a little bit faster and they can hold it a little bit easier, but they forget about 30 pounds on their belly. I, I think the combination of the mental management with proper physical fitness, and you can save yourself a heck of a lot of money on getting all the fancy kit and your training time will be greatly reduced because you're going to be seeing better results, which of course feed back into that mental, mental loop. Yeah, you know, like earlier before before we started recording, we were talking about different types of shooters out there. And I and I brought up the fact that, you know, we see the 300-pound shooters that are that are winning stages. Sure. They're winning, you know, they're coming in first place. They're 300 pounds and they're really great shots, but their movement is really slow. Right. So just imagine if they shed off 150 pounds of that and they will be even more quicker on their feet. You know, and I think... Yeah, the whole physical side of things, people tend to forget because they're comfortable at their current state. Right. You know, and being a parent, you know, you start to develop that dad bod, of course, right? <laughs> it's it's normal, right? Sure. 
But uh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the physical thing is important. You know, we all went to to high school and post secondary and did sports. We all trained and we all did physical fitness for football or whatever sport that we were doing as you know when we were younger. It's, it should be no different when it comes to shooting competitions as well. It shouldn't always be dry fire and live fire. It should always be about fitness as well. I totally agree. Let's talk a little bit about sponsorship. You're an ambassador for a number of different companies. That's going to carry with it certain responsibilities and just even getting to be sponsored. I'm sure that's a question people ask all the time. They say, how do you get sponsored? Can you quit your day job and, and just shoot now? You can't, uh, you can't quit your day job for sure, especially being in Canada. I think if you're in the U.S. and you had a gazillion sponsors, absolutely. Getting the sponsorship, it's, it's not as easy as what people think it is. Of course, everyone has endorsements from basketball players to you know everyone on Instagram or on Facebook or social media. People have ambass- ambassadors, sponsorships. My first sponsorship was with Vortex or is with Vor- Vortex. And how I got that one was literally a simple email to Vortex Canada saying that how much I love their gear and I'm a competitive shooter. And that's all it was. It was, it was something simple like that. Mm. And frankly, I ended up getting a, an email from a gentleman named Paul Slattery okay. asked to, to meet with me and we met up in, in downtown and had coffee and he got to know me a little bit and offered a sponsorship with me right off the bat. And I think about a week later, they sent me a contract to sign. Wow. Since I had that opportunity, then all the other sponsorships were more about, you got to have, it's more of the hospitality. What am I trying to find the words to You're say You're an ambassador? You're, it's all about your personality at sure. the end of the day. It's, yes, you got to be a decent shooter, but you're representing these companies. And these companies are putting a lot of trust in you to represent. You have to be able to talk to people, have good people skills, Mm. know exactly what to talk about. You got to stay neutral when it comes to talking about these products because a lot of people are are diehard fans of maybe non-Vortex. They might be in love with Leupold, right? And you got to be neutral completely about it. And you can't really talk negative about other companies because we're all in the same industry for a reason, mm-hmm. you know? And so I would never talk bad about a particular product, you know, with a product that I currently use. It's, you know, I'm sure they do have an equally decent product as well. And you're, you're also the face of their company of wherever you're at in, in shooting at. So a lot of the times when you're a sponsored shooter, you're letting people touch your equipment, use your equipment. Mm-hmm. spending the time to to talk to these people about, you know, the brands that you represent as well too. Mm-hmm. Through social media, you get direct messages constantly about, hey, what's a, what's a great optic for hunting? What's a great optic for this competition? You know, what red dot should I use for, you know, this pistol competition? So it's not all about literally getting free gear or getting discounts on gear. It's It's a lot of work where you're the face of the company and making sure that you're directing people to to purchase these products so the companies that you re- represent are getting a decent ROI on you. Of course. You, you put together a business case for them. If they're going to invest in you, they've got to see some. Absolutely. You, you have to be open to talk to people. You just can't be shy and hiding, hide out in the corner. And for myself, I've never really been that type where, I've, where 
it's easy for me to approach people, mm. you know, and if, especially if it's a new shooter, I, I love talking to, to new shooters and I could literally tell them, okay, I see you're struggling with your rifle, use my rifle. Mm. And they get to use the products that I'm representing from Odin Works to Vortex to, you know, products from Reliable Guns, DS Tactics. Sorry, I'm plugging a lot of companies That's in That's fine. That hey, we'll, we'll throw them up in here. That's fine. You know, and they get to, to try that. And once they get to try it and they like it, then hopefully they'll go out to the stores and, and start purchasing them. On the sponsorship side, you say people look at it and say, wow, must be neat to get some free kit. What I think a lot of people don't truly understand is that nothing is free. And in order to put together a business case for a sponsor, not only do you have to be working hard at your game in the sport, you've talked about the people skills, but there's a lot within the brand that doing some research and putting together, uh, having product knowledge, which might be completely outside of the sport that you're in is going to take effort from an individual. Definitely. You got to... You got to know all the products inside of inside and out of those catalogs. Mm. You know, if someone's talking to you about a monocular, you know, a lot of people are into binoculars, but if someone walks up to you and they're like, hey, talk to me about the monocular from this catalog, mm-hmm. you got to know everything about it. Or if you're talking about handguns and they ask you about the latest and greatest Atlas Gunworks pistol that's out there, mm-hmm. and they ask you about the new model, the Hyperion, you got to know the specs on those guns to be able to talk to people about it. Right. Right. You just can't represent these companies and have their logo on your shirt and not know anything about their company. Yeah. Right. It's all about brand recognition, which is yes, but it's all about their products that you're trying to showcase and sell. So you got to do a lot of studying for that. Even on your off times, if there are shows or events, they're going to call you to go out there and meet people, talk to people. Vortex is really big on that, which I've had to, which I'm going to be doing an event, I believe in April over in Chilliwack, which I'll be meeting and meeting people and talking to, to people. And very cool. Yeah. So it's, it's not just all about going out to the range and showing your stuff and your skills to be able to shoot. It's you're, you're in the public and you're talking to people and that's the, that's the big thing. And we did the same thing for Reliable for their big 69 year anniversary sale as well. And the whole team White Rice was there to, to meet with people and, and help. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been approached by a company that wants to sponsor you and you look at their product and say, I, I can't get behind this? I have. I have. There's uh, a couple companies that has approached me about it. Even another company that approached me two nights ago through email and said, hey, I want to send you some free stuff. And I just, I'm, I'm not in it to get free gear. Mm-hmm. And especially if it's something that I won't find the value or if I don't have passion for it, I, will, I won't waste my time and I won't waste the company's time. It's not fair for them for me to take gear and, and, I, and I try it out and it's, I'm not feeling it. It's, it's, it's not right. It's not in me to do that. I don't think it's right for, for both parties. I can see the temptation being there. Hey, there's free kit or there's money or there's something associated with it. But at the end of the day, if, if you believe in the product that you're repping it's less like work and you're it's fun it's passion you know the companies that i represent i i physically would use even if i wasn't sponsored by them so it's it's really natural and it's easy for me to to direct people to to certain stores that that i represent because i will go there regardless 
if I need a jacket or pants from 5.11, yeah, the first place I'll tell people to go is DS Tactical because I will go there regardless if I wasn't <laughs> sponsored by them. So it's, it's so natural for me to just to, to take them up on their sponsorship or their brand ambassadorship. And it's, it's, it's a win-win. It's a lot easier for you to do it that way. Good advice to anybody out there who's looking to follow the same path. Now, competing in Canada, taking your guns around, I think a lot of the audience who's listening, listening here in Canada will know the ins and outs, but you do a fair bit of training and competing in the United States as well. Right. It's a, uh, it's an area where I think a lot of people are curious about. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are, it's kind of that gray area that a lot of people don't know about. They heard some Canadians will go down to the U S to compete, but they don't know how to get started in it. There's a, there's a quite a bit of a process to that for my for my first time, I went down to the U.S. because the three-gun competition in our Tri-City was kind of going to a droughty stage and there wasn't a whole lot happening. So I ended up doing a little bit more research and found out that the three-gun nation was at Custer in Washington and Blaine there. And Blaine's only about 10, 15 minutes south, south of the border. Super close. Super close. So I started to kind of do my research and started to kind of figure out how do I, how do I get across there? And I knew there were some Canadians that were going down there and the two, the two people that kind of came out in my little research was uh, a guy by the name of Sam okay, and another gentleman by the name of Curtis. And those two guys were the guys that I know that were diehard three gun shooters. So I reached out to, to Sam and asked him, Hey, can you, of give me a bit of a, a tutorial about how to what I need to do to get down there. Mm-hmm. So he was gracious enough to be able to tell me exactly how to fill out the Form 6 NIA papers. So the Form 6 NIA, NIA papers is pretty much your application papers towards the U.S. To, to assign all your firearms on that application to get their government to, to approve it. So it lists everything from your, your home address, your, your PAL information, then you got your your firearms information from the length of your barrels, the length of the actual firearm, the brand states the address of the the firearms that you use for the companies. It also you also have to list the ammunition on there, right? The brand of ammunition, the the grain, all that type of stuff. Then you send it in to get it approved. It does say that for you to fax it, but never fax it. My tip to you, to listeners today is is to email it. And if you have any questions, I'll, I'll give the email address to, to Travis. The, the th- problem that I found with faxing it is, is that it doesn't print well on their end. Mm. So when they print it, it's, it's not as sharp and clear. So when they print that off and they're reading through all the information, and especially if you are handwriting everything, mm. it comes out even more warped. So if they do approve it, then they sign it, they scan it again, and they send it back to you, and then you got to print it. And then, so the resolution is getting worse and worse and worse. Got it. So I recommend to, to email it. So you're not having to print it and all that stuff. And then when you come across a border, you've got a piece of paperwork that you can show the border officer. Yeah. It's legible. Yeah, exactly. So even without handwriting it, I would just literally use Adobe PDF editor and I'll type everything in. So it's clear. Ah, Another good tip. Yeah. I'm not the the most cleanest light writer ever, so that's why I should type everything out. 
And then instead of me printing it out to sign it, I will actually do the Adobe PDF signature on it. Right. So I don't have to print it, scan it, and then send it over out to, to the U.S. for that. So everything's crystal clear for them. And then I get it back from them, and it's clear. I print it. I'll leave it into a book. That's another thing that what new shooters should do when they're coming to the U.S. is have all your information in a, in a one-inch binder with clear plastic pages. I will literally have everything from invitation letters for the clubs that I'm going to. So if it's Marysville or we're at Custer, I have all the invites letters in there. Make sure you have your calendars of the event matches in there because that's what they will ask to see the schedules. You'll have your Form 6 papers in there. Yeah. Then I will have the registrations for all the firearms if they're restricted. Sure. All that information will be in there. What else am I missing? I'll also have the, the memberships for restricted. So if you're a Silver Corps member, print that out, put it inside the book. You know, you need an invitation as well in the States, don't you? Yeah. So before you actually do fill out the Form 6, you got to get an invitation from the club that uh, you would like to compete. There are, I heard a rumor that you're able to still submit your Form 6 without an invitation letter. I heard that it's, it's doable, but I've always sent it with the invitation. So here's what I heard on that one. Either invitation letter to an event or a hunting license in the mm. States. And at one point in time, people were doing the Alaska hunting license because it was, I think, free. I think it was free or 10 bucks or, or something dirt cheap. And then they'd cross into Washington with their Alaska hunting license, which to me would have people scratching their head a little bit. Right. Like, what are you doing down here if your hunting license is up there? I agree with you. Get the proper invitation, go across the border. Last thing you want to do is be denied entry. What's harder, going into the States or coming back into Canada? I think coming back into Canada is uh, it's a little tougher. Isn't that funny? Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 a little tougher. Regardless, when I do go into the states, I do get called into secondary most of the time. Sure, but when I get called into secondary in the Canadian side, there's been times that I've been in there for an hour and a half. Yeah, and I'll get into to that a little bit later <laughs> about why I got called in there for an hour and a half. But, yeah. Uh, Oh, let's talk about it now. <laughs> okay, let's talk about it. So what I'm going to tell you as a tip is that make sure you pack your trunk or your car perfectly uh, with your firearms. So what happened was that I got called into secondary and then the border, the CBSA border agent went to my car to look at my serial numbers for my firearms to make sure that they match with the paperwork yeah. inside the binder. So I'm sitting there for an hour and a half just twiddling my thumb and I'm looking out at the parking lot thinking, what are they doing? But- they're not taking contents out of my car. They're just literally looking at the trunk. And you can see that the firearms are coming out of the bags and whatnot. And an hour and a half later, they come out and they approach me and they ask, where's your pistol? And I go, it's inside the, the rifle bag inside of a, a sleeve. Right. And I have a, a voodoo tactical rifle bag, a three gun bag, which yeah. it has an internal pistol sleeve inside of it. They sure. didn't know that it was stuffed in there. So this entire time they were looking throughout my trunk for this pistol. Uh, so to make the long story short, pack your guns so they're visually apparent that they're <laughs> there. So you're not stuck there for such a long period of time. So I will literally pack my trunk in reverse of how I load it. So making sure that the firearms are right at the edge. 
making sure that they're all in one bag, but I'll have a, a pistol pouch that goes inside my rifle bag. Mm. So when they unzip everything, they'll see my shotgun right there, my rifle there, and then, ooh, there's a beautiful pistol pouch that's all combined <laughs> together right there. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, and then, then you have your ammo, which is probably right to the side, and they can see that it's all there, locked up. Mm. You know, your trigger guard's on there, what, whatnot, and it's, it's going to save you a lot of time. Can you go across Nexus? What you can do is I've got my Nexus card and what I do is you can't cross Nexus with your firearms, but I do use my Nexus card to go through the regular, regular lines. Right. And the reason why I do that is because I've been double screened for Nexus. Mm. So they kind of have that trust in me. And the beauty of Nexus too, is that when you do get called in for secondary, you go through the Nexus line and to be able to bypass the weight if there is a weight in the lineup. Uh, now, I did hear from a friend that he tried doing that and was told that he can't use a Nexus card inside secondary for the line. But I guess it, it might be case by case, sure. case who you see at the uh, as your CBSA. So, sure, yeah. sure, sure. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I remember, I guess it was uh, pre-9-11, uh, late teens, early 20s, and heading across a border in an old beat-up Ford F-250 pickup truck and the thing rarely wanted to start. And I had a little baton that I used to whack the starter to get it going. Hmm. And otherwise I'd have to make sure I parked on a hill to get the thing roll rolling and roll start it. And I'm crossing with a, another fellow and he was, a, went on to be the owner of one of the, uh, local gun stores around here. Mm-hmm. And we're going into the States. I forget what we're doing down there, but they ask me, well, what's the purpose of the trip and where are you from? And they look over at him and they say, I, I think it was, have you ever been to the States before? And he says nothing. And then he takes a cigarette out and he puts it up and he lights it. I'm like, what are you doing? Smoking in my vehicle, right? <laughs> takes a big drag, looks over at the, the border officer and says, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh, wait. No, when I was a kid, we went to Disneyland. That's in the States, right? Wait, <laughs> he starts going through this. Officer says, get over, you're in secondary. <laughs> so we go in, they go through the whole vehicle and I'm like, what's taking them so long? And they come back and call me up. I'm like, you're in a lot of trouble. Like, what do you mean? What are you doing? You've got a baton. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. This baton, I use it for whacking the starter and try and get it going. Okay, we'll buy that. But- You've got ammunition in your vehicle. <laughs> what? What do you mean? And I guess he had ammunition in one of his pockets and, and, uh, so he explains what's going on and okay, we'll buy that, but there's a gun in your vehicle. And my heart sunk at first. And I'm like, and then I got all excited. I'm like, all my guns are accounted for. I've got an extra gun. I'm like, <laughs> what, what is this? <laughs> there was a starter pistol that was in the first aid kit that I had with, it was, uh, launches bear bangers up. There's no mm-hmm. bear bangers. There's no blanks. There's nothing else. And anyways, a, um, after a stern talking to sent us back, we came back in half an hour later after we dropped everything off. Now that was pre nine 11. Now I think that there would be a, a much longer wait and you might have more difficulty getting into the States. So your idea of doing a proper pack of the trunk, as well as, Let's do a sweep of that vehicle and make sure that we don't have any, you're saying the ammo has got to be listed on the form. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's ammo that's, uh, you're using federal and that's listed on the form, but you had some spear, uh, ammunition as well. Make sure you do a proper sweep because it's pretty easy to do. Yeah, definitely. And you know, if you are filling out the form six, 
you might want to buy case lots of the ammo because there are going to be times that there's droughts of the certain types of ammo. Right. And if you're crossing the border and you're using, for example, say Blazer, and mm. you've got something else that's listed on the form, they could potentially reject you for that. Right. Because you've listed something and declared something on paper that this is what you're bringing into the U.S. for. So if you're a reloader for rifle and pistol, then that's no problem. You could use any type of head stamp on your, on your brass whatsoever, and they don't care. But okay. yeah, I've, I've, been, I've heard that there are quite a few people that has been rejected because they brought the wrong type of ammo that wasn't the perfect match on their paperwork. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. But I wouldn't really, you know, if you're interested in crossing the border and it's your first time, I know it's scary coming across the border with, with firearms and, you know, it's always about gun control, you know, going back yeah. and forth the border. It's, it's what they do. But just be honest with them, you know, just be brutally honest. They ask you about, hey, what are you coming down into the U.S. for? And you, I blatantly just tell them, I'm here for a shooting competition. Mm. Then they look at me with their eyes wide open and they ask, so you have guns in the car? I go, yes. They ask how many? I go, three. And then their eyes get even bigger. <laughs> and it's, it's funny if it's, if it's a rookie that's in the, in the booth because they don't really know how to handle that at that point. Yeah. So... Just stay nat natural. Just show them your, your form six papers, everything that's in your binder versus having it folded up, you know, four times and you pull it out of your pocket and you look <laughs> a little shady with your paperwork. Just try to look professional with your paperwork and make sure that it all looks legit there and you just show them. And then they, they're at ease as well too. And they appreciate that everything's all labeled and easy to find and that you're a good Samaritan and, yes. you know. What's the culture like in the States shooting? Oh, those guys are, I love those guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they are, I, I don't have anything bad to say with any Americans that I've shot with. And, I'm, and I've been shooting in, a, in the U.S. for, I think, four years or five years counting now. And every single one of those guys, I call them my brothers. Yes. They are the, they're the nicest guys that you could ever meet. They will never judge you. Mm. They'll make fun of you because we're Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But they are the the most welcoming people ever. They are always willing to to give you pointers and and to give you tips. You know, they'll let you share their firearms with you. If you run out of out of ammo, they will literally give you boxes of ammo for you to to finish. Wow, that doesn't happen in Canada. I've not seen that to that extent in Canada. No, right? You know, if 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 your firearm breaks, there's always a guy that's kind of handy and they could literally give you a, a brand new bolt for you to use to carry on. And it's, it's that type of culture in the U S that they're all very, it's a, it feels like a family, you know, and I like that, you know, they're very open and they're, I just love going down there. I sometimes like to go down there to shoot just because of the culture down there. It's just, yeah. it's pretty wicked. Yeah. You know, we talked about that culture as well before we're on, on the mic here and being in the training industry and looking at the culture in Canada and then looking at the States, I do what I can in Canada to bring some of that culture in because I've trained in the States, uh, Firearms Academy of Seattle, Marty Hayes' school, great school, great guy. And he's got a specific way of doing things. He's got his reasons behind it. And he'll tell his students, here's the reasons why we do things. Here's why I believe it's good, but you know what? My competition up the street runs courses as well. Go check them out. Mm -hmm. In fact, here's their phone number. Mm -hmm. Here's their website. And here's a date that you can, 
because you might learn something from them as well that works for you that might not work for me. And then once you're done with them, come back to me and then we'll, we'll work it together and maybe it'll change my, my idea or my approach. And that mentality, and I don't know, I don't know why it is, but maybe it's because everyone and their grandma has a gun in the States. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's not viewed as such a elitist or special, or I, I don't know what it is, but it's, it is a positive culture. It is, you know, and, uh, it's the more that you spend time in the U S you see that there's a lot more people that are concealed carrying it. And it's a positive thing down there. And I don't think anyone needs to be alarmed that there's people walking around with firearms. I think it's a really, you know, it's their right to do it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I don't think, you know, people should be frightened, you know, for people that go down to the U.S. right now to go shop at the outlets. There's probably 50 people that they walk past with concealed carry pistols and you're not worried about it because you You have no idea. You have no idea, you know, and and most people don't think about that, but it's very true. It's true. And now because you and I obviously could tell who's concealed carrying sure. it because of the clothes that they're wearing, or sure. there's like this weird bulge on their belt or whatnot. That's we know, we could tell, but sure. you know, like it's, but I don't care if they conceal carry, you know, it's. So we've got a good idea of what three gun is about. Mm-hmm. We're going to post those dates up on the, on YouTube and we'll see about putting something up on the website as well. Maybe even in the mailer, we'll blast out the different dates. If people are interested, we've got people that listen to this that are obviously outside the lower mainland. So those dates will mean nothing to them, mm-hmm. but the takeaways for being able to cross the border, that's huge. The getting into three gun, knowing how to at least find it, I guess three guns doing a better job of promoting and advertising themselves than they were seven years ago when you were getting into it. Mm-hmm. What about kit? If we start talking about kit, if somebody gets in and they just wanted to have something that would be entry level, competitive, get into, is that something that you'd want to talk about? Oh, I think that conversation will carry on for hours and hours, but you know what? I think if it's your first time, bring what you currently have. If you've got a battle belt, bring it. Mm. You got only a chest rig, just bring it. If you don't have anything to carry your, your shot shells with, just dump them in your cargo pants, you know, in your pockets, Yeah. you know, or if there's a table, Hey, I'll let you stage the, the shells on the table and you could reload that way. You know, it's uh, or just use a, a dump pouch and stick that on your belt and you just dig your hands in there, grab a whole, you know, handful of shells and reload that way. It's, I wouldn't really waste too much time getting the, the right equipment you know, especially if it's your first time, mm. you know, just come out and play and see what you like. And then, then you'll see a whole bunch of other shooters with different types of equipment and different belt setups and, you know, pick and choose to see what you think you might like and go from there. Like what I really like for my belt setup. And I think a lot of elite shooters like is the Safari land ELS uh, belt system where right. you can literally take your mag pouches off instantly. Mm. You know, you could take your handgun off as soon as you're done holstered, of course, and you place it into your gun bag and, you know, you're literally taking 20 pounds of weight off your belt, you know, because you're shooting all day and you're walking around with 20 pounds on your weight, on your waist, it kind of adds a lot of fatigue right. eventually and you won't notice it until maybe around two o'clock, three o'clock and you're wondering why you're kind of tired <laughs> and you just want to get the last stage done and over with. The ELS belt's pretty cool that way. The other thing too is that for a three gun, 
the stages are never all the same. So if there's a prone stage where you got to lie down and you got all these shot shells on you, you know, pistol mags, rifle mags on you, ah, you know, you got to move those pistol pouches to the back now so you could actually go prone comfortable. Right. Right. So that's what the ELS belt systems were really good for. And I think Blade Tech and all the other companies have their own different styles of quick release attachments right. are these days. But I like that. Holster, I think, is one of the more important things where instead of using like a Ipsic or speed style holster, you got to have something with a level three or with a hood on it where mm-hmm. your gun doesn't fall out because you are running with a, with a pistol on your, on your hip. Mm-hmm. So I think that's pretty important making sure that the trigger is actually covered and there's a hood. In terms of the number of mag pouches that you need for pistol-wise, I think you should be safe with three, but have four just in case if it's a, a high pistol count stage. Sure. You know, for rifle, depends on the magazines that you're using, of course. Like if you're using the, the P mags, which is five rounds, then yeah, you'll probably need 10. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you're using like your lower mags, then, you know, that's 10 in there and... You know, you could probably have them double double stacked or um, coupled together. Right. And then you might just need 40 rounds on your hip. Right. So that's just two mag pouches, you know, however set up that you want it. And then for your shotgun, uh, it's probably safe for you to have maybe 18 shells on you just to be on the safe side. And you're saying just dump them in your cargo pocket if you don't have, obviously preferable to have. Uh, yeah, it's preferable to have your your... Like a chest rig uh, shell caddies, of course, you know, Invictus Practical, TACOM sells them, Safariland has their new design for that. So there's a lot of companies out there that make shell caddies now. And, you know, if if you're curious, then feel free to direct message me or direct message any of the guys on T-Mart Rice on their Instagram page and ask, hey, what's the best caddy that we like to use? And then, you know, we'll tell you. So what's your favorite thing about 3Gun? That it's constantly different. I like the fact that the stages are really complex. It's it's tough to do because there's so many things happening and there's a lot of moving parts to it. But I like the fact that they will incorporate long range in there if if the you know if the range allows it to. You know, I remember when I shot in Idaho, there was a long range uh, section of the stage where we had to shoot up to 800 yards nice. and you know, it's, it's challenging to do right. Sure. And, but, um, you know, when you throw stuff like that in there, or if you got spinning targets or a Texas star or a Polish plate rack and all these other types of targets, like it's, it's, it's fun. You know, yeah. it, it, the scenario is very different. It's a fast paced sport where you literally don't have to aim as hard. You know, all it, all it matters is your two hits or just to knock your steel over or right. just hit them and they just turn 45 degrees and that's, com- you know, considered neutralized. It's, it's fun and, and you get to shoot three guns at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, you got your pistol, shotgun, and your rifle, and now you got your PCC and you get to use all of them, <laughs> you know, versus just one gun. I love it. You know, it's, it's, you're, you're running around with it. It's, you know, you got all your gear with you and it's just fun you know you're if you're if you're one of those guys that it's tough for you to choose which gun you like at least you get to shoot all of them yeah you know and um it's a good time it's a, such a good time yeah it's like me the adhd which gun do you like best well, yeah it changes a sec from from second to second if you're yeah. asking me yeah totally and yeah. it's just it's 
you know, the event that we're going to do at Abbotsford, it's, it's going to be a good time. You know, there's going to be prizes there as well. And then you could find the, the matches on practice score. Um, you could also email the, the email address that we have, which is multigun. Let me just look that up here. Multigun at afgc.ca, which is the email address. And just shoot your email there and, and just state in the subject line that you're interested in getting newsletters. And we'll send you newsletters of upcoming matches and when to register for them. So all that information will be there. And if you have questions about what gear to use, what to bring, what footwear, all that type of stuff, feel free to shoot emails there. And then there's a guy on the team that literally will reply back instantly. And that's the beauty of having a a nine to 10 man team where everyone has their own duties for this multi-gun event. Ah. And, um, you know, we have our director that manages the event. Then we got an assistant match director. Then you got a, a master range officer. And then we got a, a director of life and safety, which is he's part of the fire department. And we all have our own jobs in, in the Abbey multi-gun league. You know, we have a treasurer as well, which he's good with his numbers. and uh, That's always important for yeah, a treasurer. Yeah, so like everything that we have is uh, is very transparent. And, you know, we have two guys running the practice score tablets and setting up the stages in practice score. So it's uh, it's it makes it a lot easier versus having one or two people running the entire event. And so it takes a load off. It's a well-oiled machine. Yeah. Is there anything that we should cover before we wrap up? I wanted to talk about... The diet a little bit here. Yeah. Where, let's do that. you know, in terms of diet wise, like for me, diet became pretty apparent three years ago where, uh, yes, I was trying to lose weight, of course. Okay. But I remember there were certain types of food that was kind of fogging my head. Did you, before you jump there, did you have a lot of weight you had to lose? No, I was always okay with my weight, but it was always, I've always had that tire around my stomach. Sure. You know, and then that was the tire that I couldn't get rid of. And even if I did cardio and I was riding my road bike to work from Burnaby to Richmond, you know, I would ride four times a week. Mm. I couldn't shed that, that tire off my waist. Right. right? And then it wasn't until I started to eat the right foods and whatnot, then finally it came off naturally, which was neat. But I remember what kind of the trigger point for me was Cutting out sugar. That's huge. Huge. Yeah. And I always thought that sugar can kind of help me with my energy. Uh-huh. But what I realized is that when I consume sugar, there's that period that it takes to burn off the sugar in your system. And then you start to bonk and get really tired. So in the afternoon, you're, you're literally tired. Right. So in shooting, I won't have any sugar whatsoever previous of the match during the match day so i don't go through this up and down peak right and then people that have the monster energy drinks or the red bulls that try to avoid those because then you're gonna be on an all-time peak in your caffeine sugar rush levels right and then you start to jitter and shake Uh and then when you shake like that then you it, it starts to create anxiety and you get tense right and then when you're tense you can't shoot right it's cyclical it just a self-perpetuating loop. Exactly. So diet is a huge thing. And then even on range day when the food trucks come, you know, it's all unhealthy foods. You know, like, <laughs> of course, I love my hamburgers. I love my oh, deep yeah. fried food. I love that stuff. Yeah. But is that really what you want to intake, you know, during that noon hour when you still have another three stages or maybe five stages yet to go? Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to 
bog you down a little bit. And Maybe if you want to have a nap in between eating and, yeah. <laughs> and competing. Yeah. So literally for me, I would just bring cheese, yep. sliced meat, you know, something light, you know, and you don't feel as heavy and you don't feel bloated. And, you know, I think food's extremely important for shooting. And a lot of people don't realize that. Well, you mentioned mental acuity as well. Food for that. Yeah. What? So the, the high protein meat, cheese, you find very helpful for that? I find that, you know, three years ago is when my brother-in-law introduced me to, to the keto diet. Okay. And I know there's all this hoopla and sure. people have their opinions about it sucks. It's, you know, it's, or it's great. You yeah. know, it's, it's worked for me. Yeah. I love it how I have this energy and I love it how, um, my mind's not as foggy all the time. Mm-hmm. Like my wife appreciates it because I'm not constantly forgetting about dates for my kids to take them to a swimming and whatnot, <laughs> you know, where I would always forget and have that, that daddy brain. Yeah. So I think the ketos helped me that way. But the other thing that's kind of helped me too, is that a friend of mine, which I call the doctor, Dr. S is okay. who I will say, introduced me to the celery juice and I will have celery juice every morning now. And literally that will help appease my, my appetite you know, no, clean out your liver as well. It's good for you. Look it up on Google, celery juice. It's high in salt, isn't it? I don't know if it's high in salt. Or I don't sodium. know the content, but it's really good for you. And the one thing that I've noticed is that my beard grows so fast. Really? Yeah. And then I've got better skin now because of it. <laughs> and I'm not as tired at that afternoon, four or five o'clock time where, you know, you're coming home and you're driving and then you're kind of dozing off. I don't get that anymore. Interesting. Yeah. So that's... If you can't afford to get a, a juicer, like a cold press juicer, yeah. check it out. Try it. Like it's, it's done wonders. Like it's now I'm trying to figure out how can I bring this juicer when I go hunting? That's, <laughs> that's the next thing, how I got to figure it out. I figured out how to make good coffee, but it's the juicer. Now, how do I transport my celery and then the juicer and do it at the campsite? So that's the one thing I got to figure out. Oh man. I'm sure yeah. you can do it. Bring, bring a big gen set yeah, with yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I was thinking maybe I got to do that, you know? And then, um, the other thing too, is that I cut out liquor as much as I can. Yeah. You know, I, of course I love my, my booze. Sure. I love scotch. I love whiskeys, bourbons, all that. So that's, Amen. that's my go-to for sure. Yeah. Especially for hunting. Right. Yeah. But I realized that it's not legal for minors for a reason, yep. right? We all know that, right? And it's not really good for your health, right? But I've also realized that it's not good for your head either, right? When did you realize that? I realized that uh, recently, actually. Uh, yeah, my dad My dad likes his, his, his drinks, sure. right? And then, um, you know, my father's obviously retired now, right? Yep. And- and I would always come to his house to go pick up the kids yeah. every now and then. And then he's there and he's got his drink at four o'clock, four o'clock, five sure, o'clock. And, sure. and, I, and I was talking to him and then he, some of the words that he was saying just didn't really make sense, mm. you know? And I was like, wow. Okay. Yeah. Of course, when people are kind of slightly intoxicated, like they'll get a little bit, yep. you know? And um, I was thinking, okay, then you got your hangover the next day if you do, do drink a lot. Sure. You know, and then, so I kind of thought a little bit deeper in terms of the mental management side of things, right? Mm. Because, yeah, when you can't think right, you're not going to be able to perform right. So where I'm going to go with this little story is that we all go to these major matches, which is like two-day, three-day events. And it's more like a 
a hangout for guys, right? Yeah. You know, at the hotels and whatnot. And but we all drink heavily because yeah. we're all together and we're just talking about stuff, right? And we all go to bed late. But you tend to forget that you've been training your butt off this entire time, dry firing, going to the range, spending a lot of money and ammunition, the gas to get to the range and coming back. And then then when you get up there, then you're literally drinking your faces off. Staying up late. Staying up late. You're tired by the time you wake up and then you got a headache. And you know, and you're and you're regretting that you you've had those drinks where you could have just kind of skipped it or maybe had one drink, maybe. Yeah. And you're kind of throwing all that hard work away. And that's the way that that kind of put things together for me about liquor is that, okay, maybe I should cut it out. Sure. And have it, not as often, but have it from time to time. Well, the sugars as well, but cutting it out, of course, with the alcohol and the production of sugars, it's pretty huge. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of like poison to your brain, you know, it's, it's, it's legal, mm-hmm. but is it really all that good for you? So yeah. what's it like being, I guess now you're the odd man out yeah. at these competitions. Everyone's having a few drinks and you're not. I feel fresh. You know, I feel, I feel good. Yeah. You know, like, you know, where some of these guys are, you know, they're drinking like <laughs> a liter of water just to flush out the system, you That's know, right. and, or they're, you know, pounding the, the, you know, the, the Red Bulls to just to kind of get their energy levels up and, mm-hmm. but I'm okay. Yeah. You know, and, um, no one's giving you a hard time. You know what? I get pressured the, the odd shot and I'll have a shot, you sure. know, but I just won't get to the point where I can't walk, you know, but <laughs> mind you, a lot of guys in our sport, they could literally polish off a whole bottle of vodka and they're fine. Right. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> right. You know, those types, right. <laughs> oh, I do. And there's a lot of us like that on, you know, that, you know, have firearms. Right. But, uh, you know, me being Asian, I can't, I can't drink lots. Okay? I'm just being honest. Right. I could have my four, four scotches and Hey, that's it. But it. when it comes to the Russian guys where they, with their vodkas, like I can't compete to that. Sorry. <laughs> I love it. Alrighty. Well, mental health, physical health, diet, diet. It's, it all ties together, you know, and every, your food, physical, all that Ties in with your mental management. It does. You know, I was raised on sugar. Every meal we had, we'd have dessert with, and I figured that's just how it is. And I never correlated the sugar with uh, highs and lows within the body until just fairly recently, actually. My wife would shake her head and Mm -hmm. give me a hard time. I just, you know, food goes in and you go about your day. I wouldn't think anything of it, but cutting sugar out, massive. Yeah. Hard, yeah. hard at first, hard, hard for a person who's just raised on sugar. Yeah. But after a while, I find even just the sugar that you find in fruits, you have too much and you're, you're feeling it. Yeah, totally. Like it's, uh, I've realized that even, you know, starch vegetables mm-hmm. have lots of sugars in it. Yeah. You know, like, so the way that I kind of figured out what, sh- what vegetables to, to avoid was anything that's grown underground, avoid. So carrots, potatoes, right? Right. And then when it comes to fruits that I cut out, I've pretty much cut out everything except for berries. Berries has okay. got really good sugars to it. Interesting. So that I'll eat that a lot is berries. Yeah. You know, but food's got a lot, you know, even your, your baked goods has lots, right? There's also types of, uh, you know, compounds in food that turns into sugar when you right. do consume it. Right. Right. So there's that trick as well. Right. Yeah. So you gotta, yeah, it's all about diet and, um, 
you know, I've always never really had to struggle with weight, but you know, by the time I got kids and again, the dad bod just naturally <laughs> comes out, right? Yeah. You know, and you kind of want to get rid of it and um, you got to try different things. And I don't think the stuff that I talked about today will work for everybody, but I hope that it will help some people. You right? know what? It works for you. And yeah. I know it's going to work for some other people yeah. and anybody else looking to get into the sport, or even if they're in a completely different sport, just learning how a high level athlete it, who's sponsored and recognized by numerous companies, how you comport yourself and how you train, how you conduct yourself in, through meetings in life in general, all of these things are great takeaways for anybody else looking to follow a similar path. You know, it's, it's good to have a, a good support team as well too. And I'm blessed to, to be a part of team white rice. Like those guys are, are such great supports. And I talk to these guys every single day in our, on our group chats and, yeah. and whatnot. And it's good to feed off of each other and, you know, we'll talk about strategies and, and whatnot about shooting. And obviously there's some other stuff that we talk about, which is non-shooting, of course, you know, being, a dad, of course, sure. and having to talk about, you know, other things, but, um, it's, it's good to be a part of a team like team that way. And especially being on the range, we've got that teamwork environment and, you know, being able to be lucky to share great sponsors together within a team like that. It's, it's been phenomenal. Right. And there's been a lot of great things that's happening for us for 2020. And mm. yeah, I just can't, I'm excited to see what, 2020 has for us and even the years after that. So it's, it's great to have a, a good solid physical team because this is such a individual sport that we do. It is, you know, and it's usually, you're usually by yourself all the time and it's, uh, it's, it's nice to have your support staff for sure. Well, Taka, thank you very much for taking the time to do this podcast. Really enjoyed getting to know you and we'll get those details that you provided up on the website and get it out so others can enjoy the sport, or even if they're not getting into three gun, hopefully have some good takeaways about how they can up their game in their own activity. Thanks, Travis. It was a, I had an awesome time being on the show and I hope to be back one day. Absolutely. All right. Take care.